Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. A lot of people are really enjoying their desserts. <laughs> One of the first desserts I learned to make was apple crisp. So, um, Anyway, I uh, invite you to come back, but a couple announcements to make as you... Uh, as you munch away there. Next week's subject is, uh, the speaker is the Provincial Ombudsman, Peter Hurahan, and uh, Striving for Fairness, How Does Alberta's, Alberta's Ombudsman Connect the Dots? So this is our opportunity to, to uh, explore the life of the, uh, the, the work of the uh, Ombudsman. Uh, next week it's Thursday. But I also want to make you aware of the poster outside here, just a quick plug. Uh, Lethbridge's third reuse rendezvous in which this weekend, Friday, you put your unwanted items out and uh, somebody can pick them up and if they're still there Sunday, you take them back again. So it's called uh, recycling. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so I invite um, Trevor back to the microphone and this is your opportunity to, to talk about some of the specifics of the questions he raised and he certainly has raised enough questions. So. Thank you, Terry. Uh, and let me second that it was a fabulous dessert. My all-time favorite dessert, as my wife knows, is any kind of uh, deep-dish apple pie. Apple and cinnamon, you just cannot go wrong. So There should be a public policy insisting that everybody should have that every day at least. <laughs> An apple a day keeps the doctor away. <laughs> I'm Bev Mundell-Atherstone. Thank you so much, Trevor. Uh, I was looking forward so much to your talk, and uh, now I feel I have a better handle on the Harper Unruly Government. The acronym would be THUG. <laughs> okay, my two questions have to do with legitimacy of what I consider to be a delegitimate government or illegitimate. Um, the first question is um, related to your own field of study, sociology, and that is in regard to um, our Prime Minister's slur at sociological um, uh, evidence and looking at the deaths of the Aboriginal women, uh, saying that they are individual problems and not a sociological phen phenomenon. Um, <coughs> Would you say that this fits in with his uh, need to be the king and to delegitimize de um, other institutions such as the Supreme Court, scientific evidence, and so on? So that's question one. And question two is, you talked about how we, the people, the ones who vote, could lose confidence in a government, such as during the time of prohibition, with losing confidence because of bad policy. First we lose confidence in the policy itself and then ultimately in the government. So at what point, when is the tipping point when we say this is a crap government and it has to go? What's the tipping point? Thank you. 
Well, I guess offhand, the uh, the tipping point is an election which is scheduled, I guess, for October of next year, presuming that the uh, fixed election law is uh, is still in in place and isn't somehow circumvented. Um, the the question of sociology and. I'm trained as a sociologist, and I have to say sociologists widely across the country uh, have had uh, have taken it actually somewhat with humor. Uh, the, the Prime Minister on a couple of occasions has made uh, comments about sociology. Uh, one was, you may remember, uh, about a year and a half ago where he uh, uh, said uh, something about um, uh, we don't need to commit sociology. It was in context of uh, looking at examining the roots of terrorism uh, Justin Trudeau had made some comments. And anyway, as a result of that, at the next sociology meetings that were in Victoria that year, uh, everybody made up these T-shirts that, with a picture of Harper and you know, with his finger out, and it said, Commit Sociology. So those were best-selling uh, T-shirts. That was really quite good. Um, I think the whole thing about sociology is actually a, uh, a particular perspective on uh, human accountability, Actually, uh, one of the things that goes back to um, some 40 years or so is a change in conservatism from Toryism to what I would refer to as kind of Republican conservatism. Um, and so Toryism used to actually have a kind of organic sense of society. It was a sense that everything is kind of related. Uh, and, and so Toryism might very well have and did have a sense of you know, there's betters in society and there's supporters, et cetera, et cetera. And so there's a kind of hierarchy. But there was an organic sense that society actually exists. And if you think back to one of the most famous uh, quotes from uh, Margaret Thatcher was, well, that society doesn't exist. And what Margaret Thatcher was actually getting at there was a radical notion of responsibility. The people are responsible for themselves individually. And so in some real sense, you're disconnected from context, historical, social, whatever, and from other human beings. Um, and so I think that's a, a really fundamental change. And, and it's, it's a challenge, certainly, for sociologists, because we do tend to see the, yes, there are individuals out there, but we see that individualism is kind of contextualized, right? So um, I think, actually, I take Harper's comments. For example, when he says, well, uh, a... Uh, particular incident is a crime, well, on some level, yes, it's a crime, but it's to say that some one person, or maybe a group of people, are responsible for that, but we don't need to think about the broader context, right? It's to locate responsibility within the individual. Uh, and as we were actually talking about uh, over lunch here, in some ways it actually has a kind of a, a particular religious appeal. Uh, if you think in terms of a particular view of uh, the individual in religion where individuals are responsible for whether they get to hell or they go, you know, they go to hell or they get to heaven or vice versa. Um, and uh, so it's, it's focusing on the individual. And so I, I think it's a particular way of thinking about human beings. In terms of the, uh, the election itself uh, coming up, I mean, the, the government itself, it would be dangerous to say that you know, if everybody suddenly said as a whole that governments are just simply illegitimate, then you have a real problem. We do have a kind of process. We may not like it, but we do have a process for electing governments. And uh, the way to deal with that is to just, as they always say, throw the rascals out. 
Um, but uh, and, and again, we'll have that, that chance to do it, presumably in another year or so, and Canadians will make a decision at that point. I'm Maria Fitzpatrick, and I want to thank you for a wonderful presentation. Oh, thank and you. as uh, one of the uh, other uh, people here said at our table, uh, you took all the things that we knew about and you put it together beautifully. So I don't have a question per se. I have some comments, and I'd like your feedback on the comments. Mm -hmm. So the f one of the first things that popped out at me was uh, you talked about government bureaucrats. And uh, now in my 33rd year working for the government, um, I do consider myself a bureaucrat. But what I will say is that we are told what we are going to do, okay? The other comment, well, my next comment is that there's a saying that says, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think we're seeing some evidence of that. Um, I, uh, the department I come from, I'm not gonna say what it is, you can infer it from my comments. Uh, but a few years ago, I was in an elected position with my uh, union, and I had, um, had met with a number of parliamentarians um, on Parliament Hill. And one of those politicians that I met with was John Baird. And we talked about uh, tough on crime. Uh, my career very much is around tough on crime. Well, I won't say tough on crime, it's around corrections. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said to him, I said, you, I expect you know the research, so why tough on crime? And he laughed at me, and he said, the perception from our supporters is that we need to be tough on crime. And I said, but what you're doing isn't tough on crime. What you're doing is uh, making sure that the public will pay billions and billions of dollars more in taxes to fund what they're doing. Mm -hmm. It won't help the situation. Uh, I'll try. <coughs> anyway, the bottom line was he thought it was, uh, the as you said, they're going after their group. They don't care about the rest of us, and it doesn't work. And you and I could have a conversation about that uh, after. Uh, the other thing that you mentioned. Can I let other people ask questions and can you come back? Uh, yeah, I just want to wake, make one more uh, point, and that's political interferences in bad policy. Absolutely, that's what's happening in correction. Thank you. Uh, your story certainly uh, coincides with things I was saying. One thing, actually, I, I probably should have mentioned earlier is should have been actually in those uh, PowerPoints, uh, and I was mentioning actually over the lunch here, is I, uh, as a contributing thing to the problems of creating good policy, it seems to me, is the, uh, the destruction of the civil service. And I, I like the term actually civil servants as opposed to saying bureaucrats. Um, th there is, has been actually a long, very good tradition in Canada based on the British model, actually, of having a really, really good civil service. The secret of uh, the British Empire and thereafter was, in fact, they had really great people in government. Uh, and, and good people in the civil service 
uh, and you have to pay for quality as any place, uh, would always be the institutional memory. They would always know here is what we tried this, it didn't work, this is why it didn't work, here's what we should do. And so they would develop those policies and they would come up and they would think about them. Really good. And Canada based our civil service on that too. If you go back and you think about and read about the literature, amazing civil service that was constructed in this country over a lot of decades. But what has happened is it's actually been really intentionally destroyed. Uh, you know, excuses of funding cuts, you know, it's too big, blah, blah, blah. And so you have discouraged people. And uh, it's hard to attract the really good people because they are just going to leave again. Um, and on top of that, then, instead of having really good people develop policies that are sound, that they've been tested out, we know the basis of it, and they come up through the bureaucracy, yes, you don't want the bureaucrats, unelected people, to be running the country, but you want them to inform the debate. Instead, what you actually have is uh, politicians who are elected very short-term, they come there, they meet with their constituency, their constituents get really excited about something and they come back and say, hey, my constituent in this riding is really excited, let's make a policy around it because that's what they want. Right? That's not a way to form good public policy. There's a reason for having a civil service, a well-paid professional civil service. And the destruction of that in Canada and in Alberta and other provinces is going to be some really bad policy, already is in this country. Thanks very much, Trevor, for a uh, great presentation. Really Thank appreciate you. it. My name is John Warren. Um, I'm ch uh, vice chair of an organization called Dying with Dignity, which is a national group across the country. One of our objectives is to try to change the law on medically assisted dying. The Carter case is, uh, will be heard on October the 15th by the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. After the Supreme Court comes down with its decision, uh, and hopefully in favor of the plaintiffs. We anticipate that the, um, the Supreme Court will kick it back to the government and say a similar, uh, similar situation to the prostitution um, situation. Okay, Parliament, this is your responsibility to craft a new law with new regulations. Mm -hmm. If you were to advise dying with dignity on how to get the legislation that we want in effect in, uh, through Parliament, would you suggest we hold demonstrations? Would we lobby every MP in the country? Would we uh, take the uh, civil servants who are drafting the legislation out to lunch? What would you suggest we do? Yeah, all of the above. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, that's a really tough one. And, and, you know, there are certain policies that are very divisive. I mean, the, the pros and cons of it. I, I'm, you know, when I said here before about bad policy, I'm not making kind of a moral judgment about things, but morals do actually come into it. But there's certain kinds of policies that are very, very problematic. I think that's one. It troubles people from all angles. They see sort of the different issues involved. Um, what will actually come out at the other end, uh, because it probably is highly contentious, is something that probably is not going to please everybody, and will, but pl maybe please various groups to some degree, is my, my guess. In terms of actually uh, lobbying for things, certainly uh, local MPs are susceptible to that uh, kind of suasion. Um, 
useful perhaps if you had uh, polling data that gave politicians some kind of sense of about which direction or what possible options could be in, uh, encapsulated in a policy. Uh, very, very difficult one to actually say what is even going to come out at the other end, though, because I suspect the government itself is is not. It may have some leanings, but again, it if to the extent they're looking at where are the votes in this, they're probably not sure themselves. You know, that's that's a tough one. Uh, Professor uh, Harrison, I want to congratulate you and your organization. Don't know your I'm not telling you <laughs> what you and your organization do. And if you have to know my name, I think everybody knows my name because I'm the, I'm the bitcher of the, you call me the radical. But anyway, uh, I want to thank you for what you do. Now, you brought out a very important point in your speech on the crass moves political parties and leaders are doing to gain votes. The, the, the question I'm talking about naturally is, is pushing for the legalization of pot and everything else. Now there's been an onrush of medical information hitting the airwaves in all facets of how dangerous that is for youth. And who do you think, with your expertise, is going to win out the politicians to get votes, or are we going to ruin young generations' brains? Well, I would say that actually both sides in some sense, whether opposed or, or, or opposed to liberalization or legalization or those who uh, are in favor of it, are both actually crafting their positions around getting votes. I think, uh, irrespective of where the votes actually are on it, I think that the long-term trajectory is first and foremost probably for some kind of uh, uh, decriminalization and possibly down the road to some kind of legalization. Uh, and, and I say that for two reasons. One, it is, it is logically incoherent to actually uh, have laws that allow smoking and alcohol and at the same time prohibitions around various forms of drugs. And, and we should talk about the fact that there's a variety of them. Um, and the other thing is the way contrast culturally and politically with, um, with Europe, where in this country we have historically tended to treat uh, drugs as a criminal issue, and in most parts of Europe it's treated as a health issue. And that, that's, I suspect, in the long run, partly for political, cultural, but also economic reasons, I suspect that we're actually going to move more in that direction. So the, the parties themselves, where they actually position themselves, uh, because you know, the fact is most politicians are really trying to get elected, uh, first and foremost. It would be nice to think they really do actually believe in something, but it's not true. Um, so I think that in the long run, most politicians will actually start to veer in the direction of, as I said, first of all, decriminalization and possibly down the road some form of legalization. That, that would be my prediction. And I think it may actually come about faster than we realize. I, I suspect within five years, depending on what happens in the federal election, we may move towards some kind of decriminalization. Certainly uh, the uh, penalties for uh, possession are, are – even the police offices, uh, uh, police don't want to really criminalize a lot of people who have small amounts of uh, pot, for example. So. Bell. 
My, <clears throat> my name is Van Christou. Um, I'd like to thank you, Trevor, for taking the time to be here with us today and uh, helping to enhance the work of this uh, organization. The, the age-old adage uh, that uh, in a democratic society we get the kind of government that we deserve I, I, I think is a, a very true one. And uh, when we complain about the policies that the government is making, uh, some of the, the uh, mistakes uh, are, uh, will always be made. Uh, the Peter Principle is always out there. But the huge mistakes that we're making uh, are really due to the fact that, that uh, we, we don't have a well-informed public. Uh, we're not sufficiently well-informed to know what's going on and to speak up about what's going on, what's wrong, what's going on. And uh, there's reference been made already uh, by other questioners regarding the civil service. And I'd like to add to that the teaching profession. I think that both of those groups are, are being really hammered today. Uh, and uh, we stand by uh, and don't speak up about it. And uh, teachers in BC have to go on strike in order to make their point. Uh, it's really a sad picture in, in one of the wealthiest countries in the world today. But uh, regarding education, I think that that's the, our only solution. Uh, what is your opinion about our uh, taking more responsibility as individuals to see to it that uh, the money is spent in the proper, that priorities are set properly and that uh, policy is checked by all of us? Well, you know, I, I think very few of us would uh, argue with the idea of uh, people individually taking responsibility, but dangerously that sounds a bit like Stephen Harper, right? That individuals just kind of exist outside of a certain context. Part of the way that, you know, it seems to me our systems themselves actually don't allow individuals to really take responsibility in the way they should. Um, I don't think our electoral system actually uh, allows for and encourages the kinds of debate uh, that we should have. I think our um, we've developed a culture in which actually uh, it's very difficult to sort out what is good information from what is bad. Uh, it would be all very nice in a kind of perfect notion of, uh, of democracy that people actually were informed. The, the model here is, of course, that people go in the marketplace and are informed consumers. How many people actually are really informed consumers about all kinds of products, right? Uh, and it's the same in the political marketplace. Um, and to the extent that our political elites, our structures, allow for not only a lack of information, but sometimes disinformation. So our people really can be held responsible when our systems don't allow them to participate and know what's going on. And, and I think our systems actually are problematic in terms of enacting in a genuine sense us taking on as individuals those responsibilities. So I'm not saying individuals should not do that. I'm just saying there's a lot of barriers to participation for minority groups, young people, some elderly people, uh, people who would really like to have the information uh, but can't get it, right, because it's just held back from us. So we have terrible systems of information in this country that need to be rectified before we begin to enact a genuine democracy. My name is uh, Knut Peterson, 
Trevor, I wonder if you could uh, speculate on the uh, the buzzword that you hear around uh, candidates running for office these days as the election draws near a year away. Uh, we're here to protect uh, traditional family values. What, uh, what do you think they mean by that? Mm. You know, there's an old saying about being aware of anybody uh, who uh, uh, raises the flag of being a patriot. I think that we should be equally wary of anyone who starts talking about traditional values. Uh, you know, wh what is a, your point's a really good one. What is a traditional value? We think, see things in our lifetime. In the last 30 years, things have really changed. People's values and beliefs change. Some of us may not like that. Some of us may applaud it. But uh, the invocation of tradition is, it's, it's kind of like trying to, um, my argument is weak, but I'm going to bring in this very high-powered buddy of mine to uh, weigh on my side. Come along here, tradition. And you set him down beside you, and this is supposed to constitute an argument. So it's, uh, and, and I'm not saying that there are not certain kinds of things. I mean, we all, society would have a tough time functioning if we didn't rely on some kind of tried past kind of things. But as a political invocation to give you power, that my power comes from the fact I'm defending tradition, is again a very difficult kind of thing. And I think we actually should be wary of it any time a politician drags it out of uh, wherever. Last two questions. Uh, Trevor Page, thanks for your presentation, which really came across to me as the malaise of majority government. And I wonder whether you have any examples, or whether indeed there are any examples, of it working any better anywhere else. And if not, does that mean we should be aiming for minority governments every time so governments can be held to account within the system? Yeah, uh, I, I've said in the past I am a in favor of prof uh, a proportional system, and I realize every time I say that, someone will bring up the example of Italy. Uh, <laughs> so, yes, exactly. Oh, yeah. Um, so there are places where it, clearly it doesn't work, and you could probably massage that. But there's most systems in Europe have some kind of. Uh, way of kind of massaging that uh, the electoral vote in terms of the seat count. Um, I do think actually there's, there's nothing terribly scary about minority governments to the extent if actually if people, another scary word here in, in the last few years, coalition, uh, if governments actually form coalitions of groups, well, you've actually effectively got representation from different places, lots of different voices. It's not such a bad thing, it seems to me, but it's been a long time in this country since we've actually had a government federally that ever had a majority of the vote. We do tend to get minority uh, votes, and it's usually in the range of 37, 38, 39 percent, something like that. We've also had that at provincial levels at, for various points, not here in Alberta, of course. Um, and so, uh, you know, on balance, I think that is actually uh, one way to, that we should actually be moving that would defend us a little bit more. The, the ideal of democracy, it seems to me, is as much as possible you have as many voices at the table. 
and our system right now does not allow for that many voices at the table and as I I've suggested here to some extent our electoral system is now being gamed intentionally to only want a very small number of voices at the table and that in the long run is really problematic politically and socially in terms of maintaining this as a functioning country. Uh, hi, my name's Carol Sakia. Thanks for your presentation, it was excellent. I don't have a specific question, I think you can help me get to one. But you, I saw on one of your slides, media mentioned. But I've been a longtime supporter and fan of CBC, particularly radio, but um, <coughs> anyway. And I noticed even just the other day, the reporter reporting on something saying, Obama's so-called plan. Well, I'm just worried about how our journalists aren't journalists anymore. And um, that worries me that we're not, as consumers of the media, we're not getting evidence, we're getting sort of their opinions about, you know, what's going on in the world. And um, I'm thinking that's got to be contributing to the problem that you've addressed today. So can Boy. you speak to that? Yeah, the media, that's, uh, that's an entire topic in its own right. The media is facing huge pressures, and I have to say, actually, as a long-time supporter of uh, the CBC. Also, I think radio still does a great job. I, I've seen in my time, as I'm sure most of you have, the real decline of the TV uh, network. Uh, wasn't that year, many years ago, we used to, they used to hold something, those town hall meetings where they pulled people together, and I thought they were actually kind of interesting. You know, they, they would pull people together from all over. It seems that's a role for a public broadcaster. I do think the CBC is in real crisis right now, and, uh, and, and much to... Uh, problems with our democracy. Media in general is, uh, uh, it's very difficult now for, one, there's not, not enough money in a lot of the networks. A lot of the networks are actually really losing money, especially TV is in crisis, so, and, and people are going to other sources. There is a decline in the ability to do real investigative journalism, where you get to the, you know, the background story. So what people tend to get now is kind of very superficial accounts from things. And that, again, is not, it seems to me, the role of a good media. Um, and so, but as I said, that, that would be a sackpot talk uh, for, for another day just to talk about that. Always happy to come back, by the way. Uh, wonderful meal, great company. So anyway, thank you very much.